Well, good morning, everyone. Um, as I've already indicated, we are coming to the close of our uh, marriage and family series. And today what we'll be, we'll be looking at is um, marriage and family in the church. And I've subtitled this, or actually the authors have subtitled this, um, the authors of the book we're using, called Learning to Be the Family of God. And um, one of the things that can happen when we spend time on a series like this is that we get, you know, we, we do a deep dive um, into a particular topic, such as family, as we've been discussing. Um, but I think it's also good to kind of pull back a little bit and remind ourselves of what God is doing in the world. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up our, our time in prayer, and then I'm going to read from us a, a passage, a quite lengthy passage, and I'll just have you listen. You're free to follow along. It'll be out of the book of Ephesians. Just to reorient our minds over the larger picture of what God is doing in the world. So um, with that, just let me uh, take some time to pray. Dear God, we do thank you for uh, your faithful love for us in uh, not only redeeming us, but gathering together in this local congregation called River City Grace. We thank you for um, your continued work of sanctification in our lives, even as you use times like our equipping hour to continue to further our understanding of the great riches we have in Christ. And even as we continue to engage um, this topic, Lord, may you just continue to refine us and strengthen us and build us up in the body of Christ. Thank you for this time. Be with me even as I Proclaim your word, um, and may you be glorified through it all, we pray in your name. So what I'm going to do is just read from the book of Ephesians. It's written by Paul. He's writing to a church, and, um, and just I would just have you listen as we kind of prepare our hearts and minds for the rest of this lesson. And be particularly mindful of the work that God is doing. So this is Ephesians chapter 1. I'll start at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you? We're dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is working something much greater in this body than any that can be summed up in any one individual. God is working all things after the counsel of his will to the praise of his glory. And it includes us, and it includes us in this body, which we are. We are his body. I don't want us to lose sight of that bigger picture as we consider even the finer points of family life, how it relates to the church and how we are to relate to one another, the topic we'll be discussing today. But it is a summing up of all things in Christ to the praise of his glory. And the more we align ourselves with and keep um, before us God's purposes and what he is doing, uh, the better we are positioned to respond to the various circumstances we find ourselves in. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at marriage and family in the church, learning to be the family of God. And I'll start with some review of what we've covered so far, a very, very brief review, and then we'll get into some of the details about um, this topic. And as always, um, feel free to ask questions, raise your hands, and I'll do my best to answer them. So with that, um, let's just go over some review. What we've seen so far as it regards marriage and family is we, we looked at marriage and what it is, and we saw it in the Old Testament we saw a pattern of the family in the Old Testament that was patricentric. If you remember, this is a term that 
um, if, you, if you will remember. If you remember, great, I'm glad. Um, but patricentric, it was the idea, it was, it was a replacement term they used to replace the term patriarchal. Patriarchal carries with it a lot of negative connotations today. Um, but so they coined, not coined this term, but they used the term patricentric, which basically meant that the father in the home in the Old Testament times was the hub of the family. Um, the father served as the hub of life. He was vested by God with authority to shepherd and protect his family. He was responsible for the family's spiritual growth, physical care, and protection. And then we get to marriage in the New Testament, and we see this Old Testament pattern affirmed by Jesus himself um, as he references uh, Genesis passages with affirming once again that the man, um, at, as the head of the, the wife, um, is to, um, who is the wife, the man is the head of the home, he's caring for his family, shepherding his family, the wife is in loving submission to her husband's authority, helping him along in his, uh, under his responsibilities. And so the Old Testament pattern of family and marriage was affirmed in the New Testament. And yet in Matthew chapter 10, um, and if somebody would be willing to read um, chapter 10 verses 34 through 37, can I get a volunteer? Uh, Greg. Um, what we see there is we see Jesus saying that there, well, let's have Greg read the passage and then I'll comment. It's a, it's a New Testament, Greg. Got it. There. <laughs> okay. Uh, Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Thank you, Greg. We see here Jesus affirming that allegiance to him will actually, in, case, in some cases, divide families. Where you no longer have this unified body. Following him will divide natural families. I, I'm sure many of us have experienced that. Uh, we who have come to faith in Christ may have parents who don't believe. Uh, we may have parents who aren't even there. Um, but our faith in Christ tends to divide families. This becomes significant um, as it regards how the church ought to operate because there is a sense in which we can affirm families to such a high degree that we neglect to identify the various circumstances with which each family comes to church. Um, this idea of an Old Testament father leading and instructing his family may, may not be the reality for a particular individual within the body of Christ. They don't live in that kind of a home. So how are we to help them and view them um, within the context of marriage and family in the church? They don't fit that model. As we've seen also, Paul in Ephesians, as well as Colossians, as Greg has been preaching through that, continues to direct Christian husbands and wives to fulfill their God-given roles and responsibilities. So the household does continue to be a central unit in the New Testament era. Um, and there are allowances made in uh, 1 Corinthians regarding being unequally yoked, uh, a husband or a wife who have come to faith in Christ 
whose spouse is not following Christ, there are provisions made for staying married to that person. They're not to abandon that marriage. But there's also provisions made for uh, an unbelieving husband or wife abandoning their spouse. But nonetheless, the, the family unit still seems to play a central role in um, the New Testament era and the era in which we find ourselves now. And we also saw, um, now that we've looked at some Old Testament patterns and New Testament patterns of family, we also saw that marriage ends. When we are glorified and when we end up in heaven, no one will be given in marriage or will be married. Marriage is temporal. It is passing away. And as a result, what we also saw a few weeks back was that singleness is upheld as a viable and, and real reality within a body of Christ. Um, there are those who choose to be single uh, so that they have uh, more freedom to serve Christ uh, in a particular and specific ways. And then there are people who are in stages of singleness, meaning they're transitioning from maybe being out of the house to finding a spouse and eventually becoming married. But singleness was not to be seen or shunned as some um, shortcoming in a person's life. It was to be affirmed as a, as a viable option within the body of Christ. So now, this is where we, we're having now reviewed this. We want to look at what is the role of the church in relation to marriages and families? And how can the church strengthen those relationships for the good of those families and to the glory of God? In order to do that, I think it'd be good for us to review and make sure we understand what the church is. Um, how many of you said this morning, I'm going to church? Right? We're all going to church, which in our day and age means we're coming to this particular location that we call River City Grace. Um, but is this the church? Is this building? Is this location the church? Um, no. What is the church? We are, right? We are the church. The church is comprised of people. It is not the building in which we meet. And there are a few terms used in relation to the church that will shed some more light on this. Um, as I've already read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, we, we read there already, uh, and Paul says, And he put all things under his, that is Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Um, would somebody be, I've got two passages. Would somebody be willing to read chapter, Romans 12, verses 4 through 5? Rodney? And then 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. Paul? 12 through 14. Okay, Rodney, with Romans 12, 4 through 5. Again, this is just indicating um, that we are the body of Christ. Yes, four through five. <clears throat> Do not. Oh, sorry, wrong. Four. For as one as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members, of, uh, members, one of another. Thank you. So here we see Paul, again, showing that although we are many, 
um, we comprise one body. And that, the head of that body is Christ himself, but we are the body of Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul. 1 Corinthians 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Right. Thank you. So again, highlighting the reality that the body of Christ is comprised of many individuals. The church is not a physical location or building. It is rather referred to here as the body of Christ. Which begs the question, how does one become a member of the body of Christ? Um, is it by going through a membership process that we conduct here at River City Grace? Um, signing a document indicating that you affirm the church's um, doctrines and, and commitments? Is that, what, is that how one becomes a member of the body of Christ? No. How, how does one become the member of, a body, of the body of Christ? Confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. You confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Exactly, Randy. It is by personal and individual repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that one becomes a member of the body of Christ. Simple attendance here at River City of Grace does not make you a member of the body of Christ. Um, even signing a document doesn't make you a member of the body of Christ. Um, it is a personal repentance in, um, from your sins and an individual faith in Christ himself that ushers you into the kingdom of God and into his family. Um, this also indicates that one's family situation, whether married, single, divorced, uh, coming from a believing home or a broken home plays no role when a person comes to faith in Christ. It is only through, again, personal and individual repentance. Um, so even as you consider yourself, young children who come, who are come to church on your own will or through the realities of your family bringing you to church, um, that does not make you a member of the body of Christ. As individual people before God himself, you have personal sin. You have a need for personal repentance before God. And you have a need for um, personal faith in God. And that's how you become a part of the body of Christ. Your connection, your allegiance to your parents does not usher you in, into the body of Christ. Which is a little bit different in the Old Testament, right? There was a sense of which a, a physical connection to people um, was viewed as belonging to the family of God, but it, it was not. It was always through personal faith in Christ as it is for us. Um, so, one of the things that happens when you become a member of the body of Christ, when you turn to faith in Christ, what is one of the things? You become a new creation, but what does the Lord do for you um, as it regards once you become a member of the body of Christ. Randy? He gives you his Holy Spirit. He gives you his Holy Spirit, exactly. We read in Ephesians 1, 
having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And what does the Holy Spirit provide you with? He gifts us, right, with particular spiritual gifts. Um, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, 7, um, as we become saved, um, God gives to each of us a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We are all gifted by God himself through his Spirit with particular gifts that are meant for the common good of his body. Um, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, we read, and he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This last verse that I just read is in particular importance since what is stressed here is that God gifts certain men with specific authority, with specific abilities and responsibilities to equip the church for the works of ministry. And we're all gifted in particular ways meant for the common good of all. Um, so think about this as it relates to our discussion here, talking about the family. The father of a home has the God-given responsibility to serve as the spiritual leader in his home. And yet we have gifted leaders and qualified men who should seek to equip fathers, and by extension, all of us in our various spheres of responsibilities, all members, for the work of ministry to which we are called. Um, leaders are called to exercise spiritual oversight. And so there's, as, as we get into this discussion of what is the relationship of the family and the church, we begin to see that as a father has a, has a responsibility within the context of his home to shepherd his children, the church leadership has a responsibility to equip us for the works of ministry that God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. And so we begin to see this relationship that happens where in cases where there are intact families, there's a believing husband, a believing father, or, or believing parents uh, who take the responsibility to shepherd their children, there's also a greater responsibility upon the church itself to take take on that responsibility as well. And this becomes obviously when you consider the situation where you have members of the body of Christ who don't have intact families, who don't come from this ideal um, family home that scripture speaks of. Um, it becomes important that we see that we all bear responsibility among one another to shepherd one another. And the leaders are vested with the responsibility to equip us to do that work. So we see that we are called the body of Christ and we become members of the body of Christ through personal faith in Jesus, who then gifts us by the Holy Spirit with certain gifts and abilities for the common good of all. Do we have any questions on that or any thoughts, reflections? Randy? Um, it's more of a statement, but I think the body is responsible to submitting to the authority church in the same way that Christ submitted to the Pope. Yeah, there, we see that in Ephesians 5, even as, as uh, right, husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and, and wives are to submit to their husbands as the church is to submit to Christ. 
And obviously, yes, in that we have a sense of leadership within the body of Christ to which we are to submit as well. So is that, is that your point? Yeah. So, so we see that the body, the church is called the body of Christ, but we also see other terminology used in reference to how, um, what the church is. And there's a term called, uh, there's a term, the household of God or the family of God. Would somebody be willing to read uh, 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15? Josh? First Timothy three fourteen through fifteen. But in case, but in case I am delayed, I write to you that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness, who is manifested in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels. So here we see um, Timothy um, in the book of First Timothy that you may know that how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. What image comes to your mind when you think about the household of God? Yeah, all of us. I mean, even just the term household, right? It, it, it invokes this vision or this image of family, the family of God. We are a household of God. And as we consider, we are called to relate to other believers within the body of Christ in a familial way. Um, we see the terms to, uh, in 1 Timothy 5. We said, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. We see the way we relate to one another takes on this familial language, uh, family language. Uh, and, it, and it stands to reason that being the body of Christ, having been adopted into the family of God, we are indeed brothers and sisters in Christ. In, in Mark 3, 31 through 35, Jesus himself says, um, as, as he's being addressed, and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they said to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus said, answered them, who are my mothers and my brothers? And looking about and the, at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. It is, it is those who do the will of God who are, that Jesus Christ himself considers his mother, his sister, his brother. Um, again, personal repentance, personal faith in Christ, um, personal um, allegiance to him. And we also see this image, um, well, we see... Titus, in the book of Titus, that older women are to take a responsibility, older women within the body of Christ are to take a responsibility in, in shepherding the younger women in the body of Christ. 
Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, um, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. All of these commands and directives indicate that the church is built upon a model of the natural household or family. We view each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We show deference and respect to those older in the faith. And we, see, we begin to see that our family is a lot different than what we might have expected in our personal homes. We are united together by Christ. And we are gifted in particular ways. And so the natural family becomes a model for how the church ought to operate. Um, we are indeed, um, we bear a great responsibility for one another in that regard. Now, am I saying the following? Is the church a family of families? Um, this is a phrase and a term that I was introduced to a number of years ago um, that I've had to rethink a little bit. What do you think about it? Is the church a family of families? Um, who spoke up? Okay, you want to elaborate? You come together as a family and you kind of surrounded by more families. Okay, right. So, so the idea is that it's the church is a collection of families who meet together in this local body is kind of what we're indicating. David? It sounds really good at first blush, but then I realize like not everyone is part of a family that comes here. They might, they're, you know, like you mentioned, they might not be married, they might be single, they might, um, their spouse might not be a believer. So it's a little like, is it really a family of only families? Um, it seems yeah. like maybe it's good on a bumper sticker, but maybe not. Yeah, yeah. Entirely and there's an asterisk at the end of that bumper sticker, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly. I mean, I've I've heard that term. And it was really appealing because it does. I when I when I heard that the first time, my my um, leanings was towards the latter half of that. That in the sense, no, actually the former part. We are a family, right? That that emphasis. The body of Christ is indeed a family. This idea that it's it's a collection of intact families who gather together as a body of church that is exactly what david is indicating it's not the reality um, matt boyd you could take it like jesus is the lord of lords and king of kings so the church is a family apparently yeah in that sense so it's like the ultimate family okay in a sense I mean, the, the, I, I understand what you're saying there, but the, the general sense in which the term is commonly used is to elevate the natural family, yeah. right, to the degree, and now what the church is really is just a collection of intact families, or, or the idea that we come from solid, you know, we all gather together as families. Now, that's true in some cases, right? I mean, I, I have a family, I have a wife, I have three children. Um, and we come to church every week. And we have other families that we correlate, uh, interact with. But obviously, I look around here and we have single people. We have widows. We have um, divorced families, broken homes. We have homes. Uh, we have people who come who have unbelieving family members and they find themselves here by themselves, uh, not sharing that faith uh, here within the body of Christ. And so we're all walks of life. 
Um, this is a, a quite a salad of believers, right? A mixed salad. And so the idea that we're a family of families really doesn't, doesn't really represent what God is doing. Um, the church um, is not uh, ultimately a gathering of families. It is a gathering of individual believers who have come to faith in Christ in a personal way. And we see, though, that if you think about it, the way we can view ourselves as a family is that there are those who are more mature in the faith, who are older, who should take a responsibility to train and teach the younger ones. We've already looked at the passages about older women teaching younger women. Uh, men are called to, to train younger men. Sharing a common faith and having been adopted into the body of Christ, we indeed do become spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and it's comprised of those who profess personal faith in Jesus Christ. Again, it's not because you belong to a Christian family uh, who then happens to attend here at River City that makes you a believer, that makes you part of the body of Christ. You're an observer in a, in, in a very real sense. I mean, you benefit from and you are blessed by uh, the sanctifying work that the Lord is doing in us individually. Um, but until you personally come to faith in Christ, you do not belong to the body of Christ. So any questions on that? Any maybe comments, concerns? So, yes, Tim. There's a sense in which kids and youth who, are, who have not, you know, affirmed membership yet are here among us, there's a sense in which they belong. There's a sense in which they're a part of our community um, in sort of a, a they're, they're being raised up in the faith and, and we're seeing what God does over time in their lives. But I think the family of families thing might obscure the difference between a, a kid or youth in the family who hasn't gone through that clear, you know, profession of faith, baptism, membership process, uh, you're sort of just presumed, like, well, you're a part of one of these households, so right. you're, in the, you're in the circle, kind of thing. Which is actually, explicitly, in some theological systems, that's actually intentional, right? And, and we don't that we don't believe, like Presbyterians, we don't believe that. But that concept might kind of incline us to treat youth that way. Yeah, no, it's good comments, yeah. Any questions on that? So how, how do we talk about that? I mean, like, do, do we call those people, like, do we make it clear you're not part of the church, or is there some kind of in-between position that you're in? For those For who the, yeah, are part of, yeah, that may not be professing to believe, right, right. Yeah. I mean, we see it as a reality of, of body life that we take, I mean, just off the cuff. I mean, we, we see the need to evangelize even within the body, right? Uh, maybe... Maybe I sh should not use that term body at this point, the, the way I've defined that we belong to the body of Christ. But for those who attend at River City Grace, who are part of the ministries here, um, yeah, there's evangelistic opportunities even within our own church. And so uh, whether that be with our young children who have not yet professed faith in Christ. So there's, there's a sense in which that's how we can interact and always be mindful just because they happen to be here. Um, any of us, really. I mean, it's always a, a sense in which we... Um, help each other grow in the gospel and whether that be for the first time or whether that be in a, on a continuing basis does that help to answer that a little bit any other thoughts 
So, is the church the building? No. Is the church the leaders? No, right? Um, we are all. So, what is what, the reason I say that? Is what is the next question? Is what is the role of the church then, as it regards um, our place in the world, and then in particular as it regards our roles within the context of the family? So. I tend to, when I think about it, uh, when we talk about what should the church do, how should we operate, I tend to, just through history and just through being exposed to church, lean toward what should the leaders do, right? How should the leaders of this church organize programs and ministries that help to support uh, the work of God? But having defined the body of Christ as being all of us who belong, this is the way in which I want to use that term, the church. What is the church's responsibility? Not just the church leaders, but the church as a whole of which we are members. So what is the role of the church? Well, um, I think I have these lined out in your notes here. Uh, the first is the church is the guardian of the truth. Uh, we already read in 1 Timothy 3:14 and 15, um, that the church of the living God is the pillar and buttress of the truth. So we as a body uh, have a res collective responsibility to uphold and guard the truth of God. That is a responsibility we as a, as a, as a collective body share in. We are to uphold and guard the truth. Uh, so in, secondly, we are also called to worship God and evangelize the world and make disciples. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, uh, 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Um, sorry, let me go back to 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here we see that one of the, the other roles of the church is to go worship God, to evangelize the world, and to disciple the world, to proclaim the gospel and and when one comes to repentance and faith in Christ to then disciple them to help them to grow up in the faith that they have um, turned to so it includes discipleship there's a discipleship is just teaching instructing building them up in the faith as it relates to the family then uh, me being a, a believing husband I have a responsibility to equip my children in the faith, to disciple them in the faith. But it is also a responsibility of the church at large to do that. I have a primary responsibility in my home, but it doesn't mean that there aren't others within the body of Christ who can likewise instruct my children and my wife in the faith. Um, it's not just parents who teach or disciple their children. It is all of our responsibility within the body of Christ to do so. It isn't, and it doesn't just fall to the church leaders to do that. In fact, the church leader's responsibility is to equip us to do that work, right? They are, they are vested with the responsibility to equip the, uh, 
to equip the disciples, um, the saints, in the works of ministry that God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. I, being a believing husband, have a responsibility, that is the work I'm called to walk in, to, um, to equip my wife, to shepherd my children, um, to disciple them. But it is undergirded by the church leadership in helping to equip me to do that work of ministry that I have in my sphere of influence, as well as the variety of ways in which we all have influence in this world, whether that be within the context of this church, equipping and teaching us, even as we're doing now, on how to best minister the gifts that God has given to us to one another. Uh, and then whether or not to go out into the world and how to evangelize the world. And, and so there's this, there's this relationship that we have a mutual responsibility for one another in um, equipping each other and training each other and discipling one another. It doesn't just fall to the leaders. Um, and so, so we saw that, that we, the church um, is to guard and buttress the truth. We also see that um, there's a responsibility to worship God, to evangelize the world, and to disciple. And then lastly, the, the, what is the role of the church? It's to administer the ordinances, uh, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. A father is not given the responsibility if a child comes to faith in Christ to baptize that child or to even administer uh, the Lord's Supper. That responsibility falls to the church, the leadership of the church. And that's what we practice here at River City Grace. Uh, we don't have a father going up and baptizing his own child. It is the church leaders, the appointed ones, those who have been vested with the responsibility to lead and shepherd this body who have that responsibility. As well, husbands are not called to lead their families in communion in the Lord's Supper at home. It is something that we do collectively as the body of Christ. That's what it represents, our, our union with one another. And so um, so the role of the church is, is caring, uh, protecting and um, guarding the truth, as well as um, evangelizing the world and making disciples and then administering the ordinances. That is the responsibility collectively of the body of Christ um, with appointed leaders to carry out some of those tasks. Any, any questions on those or thoughts? So individually then, what is the role of the family? Well, the role of the family can be summed up really in that we are to care for the physical, social, and spiritual well-being of our members. So I, as a father, have a responsibility, as does my wife, um, to make sure that our children are cared for physically, socially, um, and, that, and that we're discipling them in, in the ways of God. Um, it also serves as the environment in which children are brought into this world in the first place, right? It is through marriage, uh, through consummation of that marriage, um, and Lord willing, the procreation of children. Uh, so the family serves as, a, as the continuing conduit through which God populates this world, right? We are called to uh, be fruitful and multiply, and so the family serves that role um, in cases where that is a reality. Uh, and, and then we have those situations within a family where you may have converts, right? We've talked about having... Um, broken homes, and by broken I mean maybe there's divorce, but also in the sense that there's a separation. You have a believing spouse, but an unbelieving spouse. 
you know, join together with an unbelieving spouse, or you have a believing child whose parents or, or siblings do not believe, that child or that person, um, that adult, has a responsibility now to bear witness to the gospel even within the context of their home, own home, seeking to evangelize their own family members. So we see that the family, the, the family unit uh, is to care for its, you know, the physical and spiritual needs. Um, it becomes the place where we uh, see families growing physically and right by way of having children and, and continuing to grow physically. But one thing we're not to confuse is that the family is not the church and the two are not to be fully united, right, in the sense that they are, to, they are a replacement for one another. And, and maybe a way to summarize this is, is to uh, read a short passage from the book we've been using, um, that the family is not the church. So, so listen, the family of God is not a family of nuclear families, but a gathering or body of true regenerate believers organized in a given locale as a local congregation under duly constituted leadership regardless of their family status. And maybe I should have provided that quote for you in your notes. Um, but let me read it again. The family of God is not a family of nuclear families, but a gathering of, or body of true regenerate believers organized in a given locale as a local congregation under duly constituted leadership regardless of their family status. So we see here that, again, we are a gathering of individuals um, who have been called out by God, uh, have been adopted into his family, and, and now we, we come from various walks of life and various backgrounds. Um, how is the church now to continue to minister to families? How are we to continue to minister to, to families? Um, so as, as, again, we collectively take this role, we need to consider what is the church to do? How are we to minister to each other? And first I would say that we are to teach and train men and women God's design for marriage and family. Uh, we've already seen that God continues to uphold marriage uh, and family as, a, as kind of, um, it continues to be a viable and, uh, God-ordained means by which we live in this world, right? Many, most people will eventually be married. Most people will eventually have children. Um, and, and yet within that, we also have these broken situations, whether that be through the loss of a spouse, whether that be through the um, divorce of a, of a family, the brokenness, or just having been broke, grown up in a broken home and, and come to faith in Christ through that. But but we are still to uphold and train and teach men and women God's design for marriage and family because it still serves a role in God's economy, in God's purposes. And that means we, we continue to proclaim and, and teach that men ought to serve as heads of their home. How countercultural is that today? Um, you know, and, and, and unfortunately, uh, many other, you know, there are churches who, who have succumbed to that sense of having more of an egalitarian view of uh, equal roles and statuses within the family that do not align with the way that God has ordered the family. 
Um, and so that causes its own issues and problems. But we as a church can continue to uphold and proclaim God's original design for marriage and family as the husband serving as the head of the home, uh, leading and shepherding his family, protecting them, not lording it over them. Um, the wife lovingly and willingly submitting to her husband in, in support of the work he is seeking to do. The children obeying their parents, right? We've, we've again looked at that even through the sermons Greg has been preaching. Uh, we are to fulfill our roles as husbands, as wives, as children. Um, and we're not just teaching these ideals of family and marriage um, to those who are in families and in intact marriages. Rather, it's something that we should teach, as we have been through this whole series, to the entire body. Because, again, we bear a responsibility with one another to continue to disciple and train and strengthen one another in the body. And it takes and requires us to understand what does God teach on these various topics and issues so that even though I may not find myself in that particular circumstance of being married or uh, maybe I'm a single person or I'm divorced or I'm widowed, you now are equipped to continue to help those who do find themselves in those situations and, and to pray for them and to strengthen them and to hold them to God's design and, and standards for marriage and family. So that's how the church can continue to minister to itself. Um, now there may, what, do you, what are your thoughts, let me put this out here, on things such as youth ministry? Um, or, or age and stage in life ministries, you know, like a singles group or a college ministry. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, we do some of that here. But I'd be interested to hear, what, what are some potential benefits and what are some potential pitfalls for that approach? Jinwei? Well, the benefits, obviously, um, it can help um, for whatever life stage you're in to be able to identify and be more open and share because we tend to do that with more people that are similar to us. And so it may play to that or people are coming in to visit or, you know, uh, they have other people like them. Okay. But that also is the danger is that you only stick within that group and you don't get, that's not real life. That you, first of all, that's not real life, but also second of all, you're missing out on a lot by not interacting with people from different life stages. Yeah, absolutely. And you've, you've said both. I mean, there are some benefits one can reap from having an age and stage in life ministry, but it doesn't but it does come with potential pitfalls in that you are now potentially going to be drawn into a, a subgroup of the body itself, right? Um, and that, and that, that speaks to even just the reality of, you know, speaking of the young adults or whatever, that, that there is a place for all of us to continue to consider each other even in our day-to-day -day activities. You know, you know, in a very general sense, one could say I'm in an intact family, I have a wife, uh, three children, um, but we have our struggles and challenges growing up, but what, what else could we do? We could incorporate into our day-to-day -day lives other people within the body of Christ who are single, who may be inclined to just hang without, with other singles or, or college-age group, whatever you might want to say, what other groups may develop organically. Um, but there's a sense in which there's a real help that we as families can uh, provide the young among us to incorporate them into our day-to-day -day lives too, um, so that they're not inclined to just congregate with one another. 
and families have that tendency too, right? We can have, as families, we can tend to just congregate with other families. I mean, we, we have friends and neighbors who come to this church who we, we get together with a lot because our kids are the same age and all of that, and that can lead us at times to neglect other people within the body of Christ who would benefit from being involved in the context of our home life, having come from a broken home themselves and now benefiting from witnessing and seeing what a hopefully godly family looks like and what they can strive for, having come maybe themselves from a broken environment. Any other thoughts or comments? Zach? I think for youth ministry and children's ministries more specifically, I think it is a way for us to more, in a more directed way, just share the gospel. And like you said, evangelize these people who are sort of a part of our church, right. but they're not, right? Mm -hmm. They're not Christians. Mm -hmm. So they're here, mm -hmm. and in some cases they have to be here. Mm -hmm. But it's a way for us to, to, in a more directed way, share the gospel with them. Yeah. And there's other things that happen, like in youth group, there's other things that happen beyond just that, but I think that's one of the most important parts of it, is that we have an opportunity to show these people what it looks like to be a Christian, what it looks like to love the Lord, and to show them what the love of the Lord looks like in our lives, and to teach them what the Bible says about yeah, that. Absolutely, and, and I know many parents here um, are great, grateful for the, the young youth ministry that exists here because it helps to supplement even what we're aiming to do in our own homes, is to evangelize our children, and for them to be surrounded and to see what body life looks like, what it looks like to follow Christ in the lives of others, you know, because, you know, the saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt, right, and, and within the home, um, children may become accustomed to just parroting back what they've been taught, and yet to see others supporting us, the body coming together and supporting the work we're seeking to do in our children's lives and to have them proclaim the gospel to them is of great benefit to all of us. Uh, Randy and then Tim. in that it reinforces what's being taught at home because I've experienced what Jesus said, a prophet is not known in his own hometown. Yeah. So you could be saying the exact same thing and it goes in out and out, but somebody apart from mom or dad or family generates <coughs> the same information and it goes in. Yeah, absolutely. Tim? Amen to that, and that, that's really powerful and helpful. I think one of the hazards on the other side of that is that families can farm out mm -hmm. their responsibility, parents, to youth group and children's ministry, so that there's this presumption that the way, either from the individual parents or the church, like so that parents can be thinking the way that my kids get exposed to truth is I bring them to youth group. But that's not, you know, biblically the priority, of course, is parents. And there's tons of like sociology data that backs this up. That, if the parents aren't doing it, youth group is going to be very little. Um, the other danger is that the church thinks that, like what you said, that by, by, by creating a program, that checks off the box of what kids and youth need. I love the complementary aspect of it, which is really good and important. Because again, especially as youth get older, they need to hear from one of their parents. They need other mentors, other but. If the church isn't training, or doing what you just said, training parents, uh, training people to, to be disciples well at a family level, again, it's like we're, we're going, oh, we're kind of farming it out to just like, oh, getting the kids together and teaching them. If they're not going to, if parents aren't doing their job well, 
It's going to bring level, probably. So churches should do both ends, right? Like, let's give the youth some place they, they can they can form relationships together, accountability, all that, and then and then mentoring from other youth leaders. But let's also be working on parents, like why we're doing this course, and there's probably a lot more we can do to help at that level, kind of the primary level. Yeah, like teaching a, teaching a father how to conduct family worship yeah. in the home. You know, and what does that look like? Hands are going up. I saw Sue, and then we'll go Gary and then Zach. It, it works. Uh, obviously, it works both ways, and I think it all belongs. Because I've known children who have come home and shared Christ and the hope of Christ with unbelieving parents mm -hmm. because of what they've learned in youth group. Uh, we also belong to a church where there was a senior lunch here where all the seniors gathered mm -hmm. and the youth got to serve them. Mm -hmm. And it's an opportunity then for the seniors who maybe couldn't serve right now because of health issues or whatever for these children to uh, connect. So I, I think really it all belongs and the Lord will use all of them. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and it's just as mentioned, you know, it's, it's being cautious, um, wise, and uh, not just simply a, a farming out of responsibility and, and all that, but making sure that we don't just simply accept these things at face value, but to evaluate what are the benefits, what are potential pitfalls, even some of those have been spoken to. So, Gary? Yeah, just, just that uh, if that is, that's kind of the primary, universally exclusive segregating all the different groups, I mean, that's dangerous and wrong because we need to provide the older teach the younger if they never cross paths. Yeah. yeah, the youth are doing their own thing during the worship service and, you know, all youth ministry is all youth all the time, that, that's, that's not good. Yeah. Um, youth ministry is good. And, and also, I think as Sue kind of mentioned, the, the opportunity for those who are like the only one in their family that know the Lord or, or they're being exposed Sin. You'll rescind. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, good. Um, so, yeah, there are there are benefits. There are potential pitfalls and how we might segregate or separate into certain groups. Um, so it's a weighing of and just making sure we think through these things and not just haphazardly. You know, I I, I know not. I don't know if it's particularly to this church, but I've been a part of churches where parents just literally drop their kids off at the youth thing and then leave. You know, aren't even a part of that. I would question whether or not they're a part of the body of Christ to begin with, um, but yeah. So there's there's a, there's a there's a um, a mutually um, supportive role that the church can take in the lives of individual members of the body who happen to be in certain ages and stages in life, but not at the risk of keeping everybody 
segregated or separated rather into these subgroups within the entire body of Christ. Um, Lori? Um, well, I was going to say something else, but to the thing you just said. Praise God that there's a youth ministry and people who want to pour into those kids' lives and parents yeah. drop off. Um, but it's not just the youth. I mean, we, we talk about youth. It's always where everyone goes. Mm -hmm. But there's women's ministry, men's ministry, college ministry, um, all these different ministries that they do have value in the right context, like everyone's been saying. But, um, yeah, we, you know, that's where you get back to the church as a family. And, it, you know, it's... it's it's sort of gray to me, and I just have to wrestle through that a comment you made earlier that the natural family is a model for how the church should operate. Mm -hmm. Because it kind of goes both. The church is also a model for how the family should operate. And um, I'm, I'm not sure how to put those both yeah, and, together. And, and that point was in reference to how uh, family, you know, ideally, it's, you have brothers and sisters, you have parents. <laughs> children who love and care for one another hopefully that's the model that can be expressed within the body of christ where we see each other as brothers and sisters in christ and we take a responsibility to care for one another um, in that sense Which I agree with. Yeah, the part yeah. that i struggle with is we've got the natural family which includes our kids and brothers and sisters and all that but within the church we have this whole subgroup of people that aren't part of the family that we have to add another part of how we minister to them. As that, that's, that aren't part of the family, the body saved. of Christ. Yeah, not, right. right, right, yes. So Which don't, in our families, we say even if you're rebellious, you're still my child and I Understood, love you. yeah, yeah. But wouldn't, wouldn't you say, uh, or uh, what, that's, that's, that's an interest, you raise an interesting point then. You have two believing siblings, um, is their allegiance to one another greater uh, and to the body of Christ greater than their allegiance to their own family? Does that question make sense? You've got believing, you've got mixed family of believers and unbelievers, right? Um, who feels closer in their union with one another? Is it the two believing children uh, who probably share in Christ's life and body that they feel closer to one another than they do their own flesh and blood? Um, Cliff? Yeah, that, that goes both ways. Mm -hmm. And so in Matthew 10, you know, Jesus says, I didn't, don't think I came to make peace, I came right. to the sword. You know, ultimately, that, that priority, we, we can give our priority to our earthly family, when our priority actually needs to be a spiritual family. That's a real, that's a long, long, long conversation, but that's the gist of that passage, mm -hmm. is ultimately, uh, and I do it in other things that I've done when we talk about we are called and we've seen in Ephesians 5 and we have responsibilities to our earthly family. We all have family we're not spending eternity with. We will be spending eternity with our family that is here. God willing by his grace they're both but they may not be. Right. So this is when we start getting into uh, the real deep theology and how we deal with personal family versus our spiritual family. Yeah. And I would add to the other conversation I think what we saying, if I were to summarize that, is that all, all the separate ministries support and but need ultimately to lead back to the corporate worship service where we meet as one. Well. 
aside, we come together, and so all this, all the other ministries support ultimately are coming together as one as universal service. Yeah. And that, that becomes a challenge the larger you become too, right? I mean, how do you manage a larger church? I think there's a great benefit to being a relatively small church uh, because you can, you develop closer relationships because you see them more, you interact with them more, hopefully, and and it, it does allow for that sense of family feel that we can benefit from as being as a result of being a smaller body. Um, but yeah, how do you manage and deal with the opportunities that exist before us with young children and maybe age and stage in life opportunities, uh, while at the same time not uh, neglecting the priority of us being the entire body of Christ together. And so, um, but yeah, good thoughts. Um, so just with that, um, I'll just have some concluding thoughts and for any other questions or comments, uh, feel free to talk to me after. But as we've seen, um, the church is comprised of individuals who have personally repented and placed their faith in Christ, regardless of their personal cir family circumstances. Um, a truly integrated church will not discriminate against those who are not in fully intact families. Uh, in fact, we should seek um, to incorporate um, all, all of us within each other's lives, uh, regardless of our family status, uh, in regards to our nuclear family status, if you will. So we ought to be a genuinely inclusive church, seeking ways to make everyone feel a part of the body of Christ. Um, and, and this is a responsibility that falls to all of us. Um, we don't just farm this out to others. Um, we are the church. We have been equipped in particular ways. The leaders are equipped to further equip us to actually exercise the gifts that we've been given by Christ. Um, but qualified and gifted leaders um, should seek to equip the saints for that work of ministry, which is what we do. Um, as I already mentioned, how, how, how do I conduct family worship in the home, you know, in cases where I have a home? How do I evangelize? How do I study scripture? Um, um, so that we as a body collectively take a personal responsibility for one another in discipling each other and praying for one another and shepherding one another. So um, while it may be primarily in the context of the family, a couple's and parents' responsibility to nurture my, my own marriage, it's my responsibility to nurture my marriage, to disciple my children, uh, it also falls to the church to do that. And again, the church is all of us. It's not just the leaders. Um, and so with that, I just, just leave being reminded too with what we started is that God is seeking to sum up all things in Christ. What a great expression of that summing up of bringing together under him as the head. What a wonderful expression the body of Christ is. Uh, we all come from various walks of live, lives and, and family situations and we each have our own testimony and how the Lord worked in our lives to bring us here in the first place. Um, but it is a summing up of all things with Christ as the head. Um, and so keeping that in mind, how can we spur each other on, build each other up as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we look to the older among us as our fathers and mothers and uh, the older looking down at the younger as their daughters and sons and brothers and sisters. 
so the family image is there within the context of this body. And so seeking to continue to take a personal responsibility and minister to one another to build each other up in the body is what our aim should be. Um, any last thoughts or questions before we close? Well, good. Feel free. Oh, we have one more. I heard someone say um, that they would just love to see their family and friends be in a good church. Um, your <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and that's where it's at. When we come in to choose a church, this is what the kind of things we need to be looked for. They're going to equip us, so they're going to come around us. Not, are there pretty girls there? Or uh, do they have a great uh, music program? Or, you know, all these, these other things. And these are the important things. And I think it's good to even help those who are trying to find a church or lead our friends and family uh, to a good church for these reasons. Because we need each other. We need the help of everybody to come around our children, to come around us, and we need to come around them, be equipped for it. It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Any other thoughts on that, Garrett? I just say it's it's hard work. You really have to invest in other people and give of yourself sacrificially, and that's how you can glorify God is giving of yourself towards the body. Yeah. Um, but reminding yourself that it, it does require effort and it does require giving up maybe certain preferences or tendencies of yourself to give up a Thursday evening every week or whatever. Um, just a, a good reminder to myself because I often want to default to. That was an advertisement for some babysitting. <laughs> no, absolutely. You know, it, it requires us to be sacrificial, right? To to, and and there's a tension there, right? Because I have a like I have a responsibility to my own family, you know, and and to what extent do I sacrifice some of those responsibilities for the benefit of the whole? Um, I, I think pastoral ministry is is wrought with that tension. Um, uh, so. I know we have a tendency in our flesh to hang out with people that are like us, but the church together as a collective unit really is such a beautiful picture of God's sovereign plan, knitting different backgrounds and different stories together. And that's why hearing other people's testimony, even people who have been raised in a similar situation, their testimonies will be so unique because they are unique and God has created that situation to touch all of us collectively. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, with that, it, it is truly a summing up of all things in Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. So, um, Tim, did you want to make any comments for next week? Are you um, doing any Q&A? Yeah, um, uh, just one last advertisement. If there's any kind of more, especially thornier questions, maybe that you didn't have a good opportunity to bring up in the flow of any of the lectures we were doing, but um, we're going to basically just kind of summarize what we covered in the course and then have some time for some of maybe bigger discussion questions. I have a few that have kind of floated across my radar, and, and um, but more could be helpful, so feel free to email me, so preferably as early in the week as possible. If you send it on Friday, I'm probably not going to deal with it. <laughs> Tuesday, a little, a little nicer. So anyway, yeah. Good. All right. Well, with that, we'll close. Father, uh, we are indeed grateful to you for uh, making us the body of Christ, Lord. It is through your uh, life and death, Lord, you died 
to pay for our sin. You've lived to uh, live for our righteousness, Lord. And as we heard the gospel of truth and having believed it, you uh, sealed us with your Holy Spirit of promise. Uh, we are all awaiting your return. We are awaiting our glorification where we will spend eternity with you forever. Um, and yet, Lord, in the meantime, we are in this world and we uh, live as the body of Christ here at River City Grace. And I pray that you would continue to strengthen and equip us on how best to minister to one another and build each other up for the common good, that we would use our gifts to grow, uh, help each other grow in the gospel, help each other grow in godliness, and to be mindful of the ways we might be tending toward uh, exclusivity, and not intentionally, but just by virtue of um, the way in which our lives operate sometimes and help us to be proactive and sacrificial in how we minister to one another. Thank you for your care and love for us, um, and we pray that these lessons would indeed continue to um, deepen our love for you as well, Lord. We thank you in your name. Amen.